Good afternoon, and welcome to today's Proposal Writing Basics class, which is sponsored by the Enoch Pratt Free Library, Maryland State Library Resource Center. It's also a program that is provided by the Foundation Center. Um, what I'm going to do to start things off is just make sure some logistical types of information is covered, both for you that are attending in person at today's event, but also for the online audience that is watching in Ustream. And so, so for those of you that are here right now, this is a live broadcast. So not only will I be taking questions from you today and that there will be discussion going on amongst the room and you'll be getting your information, the online audience will have a chance to chime in as well. They'll be able to ask questions and I'll do my best today to answer your questions as we go through today's program. So in-person attendees, if you need to use the restroom, it's just going to be down the hall to the left. There's also a restroom that's downstairs one floor and back of the security gate. Cell phones, since, especially since we're doing an online broadcast, make sure that you have your cell phones on silent or vibrate. And if you have to go out into the hallway to take the call, feel free to do that. You'll notice um, for today's program, we are keeping the doors closed. You can get back in once you go out. Um, everyone should have copies at their chair of, uh, of I think, Three or four different handouts. One is just basic information about the grants collection in brochure form. So you have my contact information in case we're not able to cover everything that needs to be covered and you have questions. You have my phone number. You have my email address. You have my Twitter account as well. You have a packet of today's slides. So this will be good for note-taking and to just follow along. At certain points of today's presentation, I'll be referring to what is called the Wisdom Exchange Project Outline. This will be very helpful during the part of the program where we go over the proposal itself, the writing part. And you also have an evaluation form where filling this out is definitely helpful for future programming, for programming that's going on currently. Love to have your feedback, what you want, what you don't want. Make sure at the end of the program today that this is filled out. You can leave it at your chair or you can put it at the back table where it's to the right of the coffee, tea, and water a wooden table. Now, for those of you that are viewing this online through Ustream, you also have copies of today's handouts, including an online evaluation form. But where yours is located is to the right of the video where there is a social stream tab. So when you click on that, you'll be able to download or click on the copies of today's handouts. And you also see a chat box where you'll be able to type in questions. And um, once again, I'll do my best for those of you that are viewing this online to answer your questions today. So we've gone through the house cleaning. <laughs> we're down one, one part. And what we're going to do now is definitely get into today's program. 
Um, I am going to make sure to have a couple of short breaks uh, in the mix as well, because this can be very informative, very detailed. And I also want to just make sure that there's time for you to to discuss, which uh, speaking of discussion, that's how we're going to start off. So we're going to be learning about the proposal writing process as a whole today. And what I would like for you to do, if you're in person, um, whoever you're seated next to or around, this is a great opportunity to pitch your grant-funded project. Um, Pretty much think about this question of what is the problem that your organization wants to address that needs foundation funding. So you're a part of a nonprofit, you're seeking grants. What is that problem or issue? And why do you need grant funding for it? I'm gonna give you about three minutes to discuss this with your neighbors, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay, so we've all had time to talk about our projects that we need funded by foundation grant money. Very lively discussion. I hope uh, for those of you that are viewing online, I'm sure you were able to, to hear exactly all the, the pitch that was going on, all the key points. Because really, when you're trying to get foundation funding, a lot of it is about condensing a great amount of information and putting it into as nice of a package as possible. So I'm curious, um, anyone learn about a project that if you were the foundation, you would want to fund immediately? (laughs) Yes. Feel free to share. So um, the project that was pitched was um, dealing with cleaning up a part of Baltimore. Um, any particular part of Baltimore? Um, they do it in, um, they find Baltimore areas that have been that to Is this, um, just out of curiosity, is this an event that's a one-time event or is this something that maybe would happen once a week or once a month or but this is very this is very good information. Thank you for sharing. Um, anyone else learn about a project that if you were in the foundation shoes, you would fund? <coughs> Sandra um, is looking to start a nonprofit that provides support and services to senior citizens that have been through abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that as a foundation that could be interested in funding if I were a funder. So we have a specific population, and by abuse, do you mean um, not to get too detailed here, but crime or crime, financial abuse? So finance, okay. So not only so not only are we narrowing it down at that it's crime, but in particular finance, it's money. Very good. Thank you. Um, one more. Anyone want to share one more project? Uh, Robert. Um, a project in Palm Beach. 
church that's trying to expand its kitchen so it can serve more people who uh, are arriving in food. This is interesting. Thank you, Robert, because we're, we're looking at really building renovation type of money, but we know we need that money because it's for a specific service that's provided by this church. So really, this, this in a way is a project, but it's also a, a, really a service that's done on a good basis. Yeah. So we're able, in this case, to take something that is, is a service provided by a nonprofit, we turn it into a project, and we know that with the money that can come from foundations that can be grant funded, and um, be able to get more people into the kitchen. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much for sharing your programs and projects. Um, we came across a lot of really good points. And um, what, by asking more questions, just to get a little bit more detail, ultimately what I was trying to do was try to figure out, well, how does it stand out? How does this program or project stand out compared to other nonprofits that may or may not be doing the same type of program or project that addresses a specific issue or problem? It's something to think about as we're going through today's program with Proposal Writing Basics. We're taking the perspective of we are a nonprofit that needs program or project funding from a foundation. So that's the shoes that we want to put ourselves into. So what will we learn today? Well, we're going to learn more than just writing a grant. We're not going to do the immediate, quick, I need to seek out Matthew Lesko with his question point jacket and get money as quick as possible. That is the, we're going to take a total opposite approach. We're going to be looking at the whole process because really the proposal writing, it doesn't stand alone. We're going to be looking at it in different chunks. So that's why during this first part, we're going to mostly be looking at how to get started with the proposal writing process. So this is the part where we're thinking about what we need funded before we even start writing the proposal itself. The second part of today's presentation, we're going to be going over that writing part, but we're also going to be thinking a lot about the organization part, knowing that we have that wisdom exchange project outline that helps with the organization and we're going to figure out how to get that organization and writing into one big package and then afterwards we're going to think well we just put together this proposal we submitted it in but what are we going to be doing now what's the communication part after the grant what's the relationship building after the grant is done will there be more writing so we're getting a whole tour of the proposal writing process today. So that's why when we're looking at these four parts, this is why we know that the writing part is, is not just the only part, that we have the planning, that we have the research and the communication to go with the writing. Because you know, really, this is a process that can take anywhere from maybe six months to nine months to even a year to plan out a grant. And we want to make sure we devote that time in the right way. 
so that way we're able to put in details into the proposal writing process that can then be presented to these funders. So with planning, it really is one of these steps where we're trying to create something. You've mentioned the programs and projects today. We're trying to create something that's going to be more than a short-term answer. We're looking at the long-term as well. That's why if a tree is planted, it will hopefully help many people find the shade that they need. This quote by Warren Buffett, someone sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago, it's something that you can carry over into the proposal writing process. Think long term. Think about those people that we're going to be serving. And during this part, we're really going to be thinking with the proposal writing process about are we even qualified to seek grants? So we're looking at that before the grant part. And we're going to be thinking about answers to the program and project that we, or project that we want to put together. Who here in the room belongs to a 501c3? Good. Thank you. So we had about half the hands raised up in the room. This is an essential step to getting grant funding. You have to be a credible 501c3 nonprofit. You have to be a public charity. 501c3 is simply the IRS code. Um, for those of you that want to learn more about these steps to even seeking out grants, there is a class called Grant Seeking Basics. Some of you had attended it a few weeks back, and that goes into more detail about how we have to make sure that not only are we 501c3 and not only that we're making great proposals, but that we're also showing that we are a strong found, a strong organization as well, that we are a strong 501c3. What does a, five, a strong 501c3 mean or a strong organization mean? It means many things, but in a nutshell... It means that you have a mission that matters. So you have that brief mission statement that makes your nonprofit stand out from others. You have a track record of success. So your nonprofit already has programs or services that are successful. And you know that. Now you just need to communicate it out to those funders. Your organization also needs to have strong leadership. Does this mean just the executive director? It means more than the executive director. It means do you have a strong board of directors? Do you have strong senior staff? There's probably going to be a project coordinator for this program or project that needs grant funded. What's that person's credentials? Strong financial staff too. People that are able to carry out those administrative support types of responsibilities, the day-to-days, the finances, the services that have to be a part of your organization in order to serve your community. Strong administrative support is key as well to having a credible nonprofit 
that funder wants to make sure that they're giving to an organization that runs smoothly. There's also the part two where some of you, since not everyone raised their hands, some of you might be wondering, well, can I still get grant funding if I'm not a 501c3 nonprofit? There is an answer to that, yes. Um, sometimes individuals or groups will get um, accepted into what are called umbrella organizations. Sometimes that can be known as a fiscal sponsorship where they can then qualify for grant funds. Pretty much that nonprofit is making sure that grant funds can be accepted and administered for your project. Because not every group or individual wants to do the whole starting a nonprofit process. That's timely itself. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind that if you have this program or project that you need grant funded, umbrella organizations, fiscal sponsorship is a possible way to go. So next part, um, what type of support do you need? Um, I heard the part about building renovations. I heard about the programs or projects. I was talking to someone earlier that was mentioning about special event funding. Um, anyone else have a type of funding that they need um, from a foundation besides program or project or a special event? Yes. General operating support. Yeah. So we have general operating support, the day-to-day -day cost. Yes. I'm not sure if this is actually um, feasible, but we're looking for um, for money from foundations to do fundraising events to put that on. Yeah, to, to maybe um, in some way be a... Uh, sponsor maybe or to help coordinate a special event right so coordinate like outreach and fundraising events yeah so you're you're seeking what would be considered an, an outside support you're getting funding so that way you can bring some someone or some things in to make um to be in order to um have an, a specific event exactly. yeah. that that is a way of seeking grant funding as well there's all types of support oh i'm sorry we can do one more Um, what so what type of support would they give you, sir? And any type of support in particular? Um, is it is it for day to day cost or for a program or project? Okay. So we're looking more at program development funding. Okay. Thank you. So there's several types of support that you can apply to when it comes to grant seeking. It's just knowing which foundations give for certain types of support. Something to keep in the back of your mind during the proposal writing process. And definitely, do you have enough time? From the time that you submit in that proposal, that package, how long do you think it might take for you to get a reply back? Just estimate. Sorry, we can, we can do a week? Keep to, to just say, to acknowledge that you received it. 
that's good. If they are if they are getting back to you within a week, that's ideal because really if it's taking more than two weeks, then you would probably want to follow up. But in terms of knowing did you get the money or not or the support, how much time do you think it would take? Thank you. At the minimum, on average, it usually takes about six months for a foundation to really give you the reply back on if you're going to receive grant funding or not. There is leeway in that. A lot of it depends on what on who you're applying to, how much support it is, because sometimes there's many grants that might not take as much time to get a reply back on. But for the most part, you're looking at six months at the minimum, probably more like nine months at the most on average from the time you submit that proposal to hearing back. And I'm not just referring to the you have to have it printed out and packaged and sent to the foundation. It can be that way online too. It just depends on the foundation itself. Something to keep back in mind of your minds today is that we're referring to both if you're submitting an application that's printed out or we're submitting a proposal that is online. So the planning process. We're looking not just at the project or that program that we need funded, but we're also thinking about our organization during this time as well as we're planning out our proposal writing. We're gathering information about the project and the organization, so the smaller part and the big picture. Very much, what do you plan to do and how will you do it? That's what you're thinking of in the back of your mind. We're thinking about that project and how it relates to the mission. One of those big requirements of a nonprofit, have a mission statement. So we need to make sure that the project that we need funded is consistent with our organization's mission. You know, let's say you work in a art museum and you're the person that has to look for grant funding, but you're applying to a foundation that supports art as well. So we've made the match. You're an art organization. You're applying to a foundation that supports the arts. Yet the project that you're doing deals with childcare, or it deals with a soup kitchen. Sure, it might be a program or project that our arts organization, or in this case, our, our art museum, might provide, but how does that tie into your mission? So art, art museum or art organization should probably have an art program or project that needs grant funded. Foundations are looking for that type of match. Once again, with the time frame, we already mentioned a part about how long it can take to receive a response back on when you get that support. But this is more about the time frame of your project. Maybe you're doing a one-time event. You have to make the argument of why you need grant funding for a one-time event. Maybe you need funding for a project that is year-long. You might have to have some type of timetable set up of why you need grant funding for a project that's year-round. 
or year long. And definitely, if you have a project that's multi-year, you have to make the argument of why do you need grant funding for something that's going to take two or three years to receive results and measurable results. That's a part of the time frame, and it also has to deal with thinking more about the outcomes. And then definitely the part, and I'm kind of curious on hearing about this, did, amongst your discussion, did anyone mention how much money you needed for grants? That foundation's going to need to know if you're, gonna, if you're requesting $1,000 or $10,000 or $1 million. They're going to need to know how much you need. Sometimes foundations, one of the first things they look for is that budget part of your proposal, and they want to see how much you need from the start. That varies depending on the foundation, but some of them do look at those numbers as a big part. So think about that program or project that needs a certain amount of money and knowing what the difference is between requesting that 1000 or that 100000 Does anyone have any questions about the planning process? That's a good question. Um, sometimes maybe individuals have a program or project that they need grant funding for. And may, um, if they don't want to get form their own nonprofit, they can see if a nonprofit organization will take their program or project in. In that case, you don't have to set up a board. But yeah. If it's a nonprofit, you need, in order to get, well, in order to get the grant funding, you need to follow us, you must set up a board. Absolutely. A, five, a 501c3 has to have a board of directors. In Maryland, you have to have five people on your board. And that does vary state to state. Does that help answer your question? You're welcome. That is a very good question. Um, the question that was asked was, what happens if maybe you're in Maryland and you're, you have an umbrella organization that's in another state? So you might, your program or project might be in Maryland, but your umbrella organization that has taken you on might be in New York or in Pennsylvania. You're, in that case, you are going to want to make sure you check with that umbrella organization to find out what types of fundraising you're qualified to do. Because um, sometimes, depending on the situation and that nonprofit, they might only be allowed to solicit within that state. But then sometimes you're allowed to do the multi-filing, the multi-state fundraising. There's even a unified fundraising code that's available online that um, if an organization wants to receive funding from all 50 states, there's actually a standardized um, application process for that. Instead of having to first apply in Maryland and then Virginia and then Pennsylvania. So you would just need to check with that umbrella organization to see what you're qualified for.
Yes, Linda. Well, that ties in with my question in that um, if you have this proposal that you've developed, um, are you able to send it to many foundations at the same time, or do you need to do it in some kind of cyclical way? So you have one proposal, and you want to send it to more than one foundation. We're going to get that's a great question, but we're going to get back to that because that's one of the most important points of today's program when it comes to filling out, doing a proposal and sending it to more than one foundation. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Ryan, do we have any questions online? Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to... Um, what what we're going to do, we are going to go to the research part, but we are, um, after the research part, we're going to have a short break, so I'll make sure to get to you, sir. Um, so the research part. Really, this is a part where you have to have that motivation. You have to know that there's going to be time involved with finding those grant makers, finding those foundations, you're going to have to put time to the side. Zora Neale Hurston did say it in a very nice way, that it is a formalized curiosity, this whole research process, that you really are looking for those certain parts or those certain key points when you're researching, and it fits very well in, in terms of foundations. So really, we're at the part where we're finding those, found, those funders. So we're looking at several key components here. We want to find out about who that match is. So we have our nonprofit. We want to find out about a foundation that not only matches our nonprofit, but fits our nonprofit. Art for art. Education for education. Serving young adults, serving young adults. Those have to align. But there's even more parts that have to align. So you're trying to find that foundation. You need to make sure that foundation does uh, fund a specific state, and you might have to figure out if that foundation funds a specific part of that state. So there is a geographic focus involved with finding the funders. A uh, foundation could be located in Maryland, and it could give to Maryland nonprofits, sure. But a Maryland foundation could also give to nonprofits that are in Virginia or California or Illinois. Just like foundations in Illinois or California or North Dakota or another state could give to a Maryland nonprofit. That's a part of the research process is finding out about those foundations. Really, we're trying to find out about organizations that, I guess, these foundations have funded that are like ours, and that they're organizations like ours that have also had similar programs or projects funded, which leads us to our fields of interest. So you could have that best youth center in the city of Baltimore, city of Rockville. But if you end up applying to a foundation that primarily serves the arts, and if that youth center has nothing to do with the arts, then how much time did you just spend in a quality type of way? You might be given a quick answer right there.
So we just need to make sure that we match our program or project with that foundation's fields of interest. We've mentioned the part about the type of support, all the different types of support, the general operating support, the program development, the technical assistance where we might need to get someone from the outside to help us out in some way scholarships, capital campaigns. We need to find out about which foundations fund certain types of support. You know, we're focusing on pro- program project support today, but you do have to think about, I guess, what happens if I do need general operating support? How am I going to make my organization relevant enough to that foundation that provides the general operating support? Are they just going to want to know about my day-to-day successes, or are they still going to want to know about our program project success? Now, with those finding funder points that were just made, a lot of this information can be found using one specific source, and that's the foundation directory online. That resource can be used, and it's a database that's in print and online. At the Enoch Pratt Free Library, Maryland State Library Resource Center, it can be used in the central library for free with a library card. There are 13 Foundation Center funding information networks in Maryland. There's also a Foundation Center Washington, D.C. office. They all provide free access to Foundation Directory Online, the professional version where you can look up over 108,000 grant makers, look up over 1.8 million grant details. If you need more information about those locations later, in case you're not in the Baltimore area and you're from another county, please see me and I can let you know where your nearest Foundation Center Funding Information Network is that has Foundation Directory online. There's also a great program that's called Introduction to Finding Funders that you can access for free on the grantspace.org website to learn more about how to use the Foundation Directory online. But here's a part that's even better. And I had to squeeze this in in parentheses, not at the last minute, but within the last month, because as of September 2013, there is now what is called the Foundation Directory um, Online Free, or FDO Free. So that database, it doesn't have as much information on the grant makers, and it only gives you um, information on, I believe, about 95, 96,000 grant makers, which is still great, <laughs> still a big number. <laughs> but um, that can be, that website, FDO Free, can be accessed from any computer, from home, from inside or outside the library with internet access. And just to give you all, I'm going to break the the barrier here and just show you real quickly. So we got databases, apply for a grant on the Foundation Center website, Foundation Directory Online. This is the version that you can that you can use inside the library for free or a funding information network for free. But then um, 
FDO free, which is FDO.FoundationCenter.org is the free version where you can search for grant makers and search for 990s from any computer with internet access. Once again, that's F as in Frank, D as in dog, O as in organization, dot foundationcenter.org. So we do know that in the research process, um, we can look at 990s and 990 PFs or related types of financial reports to learn more about these grant makers. Um, does everyone know what I mean by 990s, 990 PFs? Good. Those are tax returns filed by 501c3s. So we can actually look at 990s and 990 PFs for free using Foundation Directory Online and some other resources like... Um, Foundation Center also has a, a 990 finder that you can act, use for free from any computer. And um, you can learn more about a grant maker, about their contact information, their board of directors, the programs and services that they funded just on a tax return. So it's not like you have to read all the pages of a tax return. You just have to pick out certain parts. You do have a couple of directories to specific to Maryland, including Jankowski's Maryland Leading 500 Foundations, which if you ever want to look at that at the Enoch Pratt Free Library here at Central, you just have to come to the Social Science and History Department desk and ask for it, and a librarian will be able to get it out for you. There's also the Association of Baltimore Area Grant Makers um, directory, and there's more training programs that can be found not only at Enoch Pratt, the Grants Collection website, but also Grant Spaces Classroom, grantspace.org classroom. Does anyone have any questions? The AB AG member directory, is that online or is that just through, is that in print? Like, how, is it accessible online? A good question. As of right now, you can, you have to um, go through the Association of Baltimore Area Grant Makers to see to inquire about the printed version. But you might want to also inquire about what if there is an online version and if it's currently being developed or not. Yeah. Um, at this point, do not have a copy at the library. Yes. You would want to inquire at a community college. Um, sometimes their grant-seeking resources might depend on the department. So sometimes specific community college or four-year college departments might have grant-seeking resources. Sometimes universities and colleges have departments specific to philanthropy or development. You would just have to find out if those departments will let you access them. You'll just need to inquire. Any questions online, Ryan? Okay, going to go ahead and just take a two, three minute break and we're going to get into that bulk part, the part that we've all been waiting for, the proposal writing and organization itself. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get into the big part of our program the writing, the organizing itself. 
Thank you so much for grabbing some of the candy, too. It looks like we're making great headwind on that. <laughs> I think it's only the Jolly Ranchers that are left. One, one thing I want to um, point out that was brought up um, during break was with 990s, you can access them through several websites for free, but the two that you might want to consider besides the Foundation Directory Online Database is the Foundation Center 990 Finder or GuideStar.org. GuideStar is a nonprofit directory website. In particular, it helps give nonprofit financial reports. GuideStar.org. Excellent website. You can make an account for free. You do have to pay for some of their premium services, but you can still get a good amount of information for free, including 990s. Uh, the Foundation Center's 990 Finder. If you just Google Foundation Center 990 Finder, you'll be able to get that website. And speaking of Google, another question that was brought up really briefly was, well, can't I just go up to the Grantmaker? Or can't I just uh, go onto their website directly? Absolutely. Yes, if you want to do the Google, Yahoo, Bing search. And if you know the name of the foundation, you can find out if they have a website or not, or contact information. Just something to keep in mind is that not every foundation has its own website. And that's where the Foundation Directory Online co really comes into play, is trying to discover if a foundation has a website or not, or direct contact information or not. Um, as we get into this writing part of the presentation where we'll be referring to that Wisdom Exchange Project outline, I just want to bring to your attention that a lot of this program today is from the Foundation Center's Guide to Proposal Writing. This is the sixth edition. This is a reference copy that's at the Enoch Pratt Free Library, so this one has to stay in the library, but it's in its sixth edition now. It's written by a lady named Jane Giever, G-E-E. V-E-R. She has written, I believe, every edition of the Foundation Center's Guide to Proposal Writing. This is a version that, if anyone's interested in checking it out today with your library card, you're more than welcome to do that. And this is a fourth edition, still extremely relevant, and it gives um, a whole overview of the proposal writing process, including sample proposals. But if you're really looking for more examples of sample proposals, this is where you want to look at the Foundation Center's Guide to Winning Proposals. These foundations that have contributed to this book have been kind enough to show examples of proposals that might be for projects or for general operating support. Uh, and some might be single-year, some might be multi-year. Some examples are in here, and they're also available online for free through the grantspace.org website. So as we're getting into this proposal writing process even more, especially with the writing, putting the package together now, we really need to think about our organization. Because like a lot of organizations, there might be this jargon or this lingo or these words that were around on an everyday basis, or these terms or these services that were around on an everyday basis. Some people outside of our organization might be familiar with them, but there's a very high chance that the foundation that you're applying to, only some of them know about them. 
but then a lot are not going to know about your programs and services or about why you need funding. So you need to be thinking about how to make your proposal not only as concise as possible, but as clear as possible. So think about that word choice as we're going through this proposal writing process. So as a whole, we have all these proposal contents. We have, and this is just a listening right here. I'm going to go into each of these in more detail. But this represents pretty much most of the formats of for submitting in a proposal that um, are from several foundations. Yes. Real quick question. When using acronyms, you're submitting a proposal, can you just use or actually say what those acronyms mean and then after the next paragraph or the next page, you can use the acronyms at that point to explain what those acronyms mean in the beginning so later on you don't have to Yes. Um, the question was, um, should you define that acronym from the start and then just use the acronym from that point? The answer is yes. Just as long as at the beginning you explain what that acronym is, then from there you can just use the acronym and not having to keep spell it out over and over again. Thank you very much for bringing that up because that is a big point when it comes to putting together the proposal is that jargon and the acronyms that that are specific to your organization. So proposal writing content, we're looking at, I guess, the big foundation proposal picture here. Most of the time you're going to be submitting in proposals that are anywhere from five to maybe 10 pages at the most. Think about that in big terms. You're trying to get money for a program or project, and you're trying to put that into that many pages. By that, I mean those details that are about that program or project. You know, a lot of us are at the point where we could talk all the time about what we need funded. And for some of us, that's a big part of our jobs. It's just about concising it. That's, that's going to be the part that we have to think about. So we're looking at the title page and table of contents. We're, um, we want to make sure up front that we have the name and address of our organization, the name of the foundation that we're submitting the proposal to, the proposed grant period, and, as mentioned before, that amount that you're requesting. Ta title page table of contents area is a great part to have that at. And if that foundation, once you've done your research, you've been able to find a point of contact, make sure to have them, that point of contact's name on that, in that title page area as well. That's, that, import, that is very important information. One of the most frequent comments that I get at the grants collection are people telling me about how they submitted in proposals, but that they accidentally submitted it to the wrong person. You wouldn't be the first one. You're not going to be the last one. But that's where doing the grants research process is important because you can really find out when you go on that grant maker's website or through Foundation Directory Online who that point of contact is. You address it to that specific point of contact or whoever that foundation tells you to submit it to. That saves a lot of time and, it's, and it will have a greater chance from there.
we got the part with the executive summary, even though it's at the beginning. Really, it's one of the final pieces to put together, if not the final piece. So we're going to get back to that. The narrative is going to be the bulk of your proposal, your statement of need, why you need the grant, two pages usually. Project description is the biggest part. That includes your goals and objectives, your methods of putting out that program or project. You're looking at three pages usually. Organization information. As stated before, we want funding for a program or project, but really we need to make that foundation aware of our organization as a whole. Some of us might be from organizations that we're not want to make an assumption, but the foundation might know of already some of those big national organizations. But for the most part, you might be a part of a nonprofit that is just very specific to that community that that foundation center might not need to know, uh, might not know a lot about. So you got to be prepared to give them organization information. And you have your, your final appeal, your conclusion. And then, you know, we're giving our narrative, we're giving our words, but we definitely have the numbers part in greater detail with the budget. And then we also have the part where you might have to give added value to your proposal in the appendices and supporting materials. So we're going to go a little bit more into that part where we've already covered a part dealing with the acronyms to jargon, but with the narrative and writing tips, and just make sure to have that um, that outline ready, the Wisdom Exchange Project outline. We're going to be looking more about tips when it comes to writing the proposal. Because just like when we're learning at a young age how to put together an essay or a big research report, a grant a proposal is no different. You want to have an outline to start things off. So something that's been provided by the Wisdom, by um, the Foundation Center, their Wisdom Exchange Project outline is a great way of just describing why you need money and brief bullet points. So you begin with that outline. And you name that project. Who here um, would like to share, it might not even need to be your organization, but who here would like to share a name of a program or project that sticks out in your mind, mostly because of what it's called? Does anyone have any in particular? Salvation Army. That's the name of the organization. Any specific project that they have? Um, how the AIDS come to the aid and rescue a person, say, uh, in fires or disasters or something like that. So we're describing services, but that's more or less the name of an organization. Could you make it more clear? I'm, as, I'm putting us in the perspective of we have this program or project that needs to be funded. You have um, in front of you this wisdom exchange project. That's a, that's a project uh, that's a part of a nonprofit organization. So does anyone else have a program or project name that really stands out? Um, day of service and it's for the Perfect, yes. Day of service. That was done, I believe, just last month. 
I believe. Yeah. And that was a big collaboration of all types of nonprofits, churches, um, secular organizations, all coming together to serve in different communities. So all these nonprofits were a part of the day to serve. Thank you for that example. Anyone else have a project name? Free Fall Baltimore. And that's going on right now. That is uh, Free Fall Baltimore. That's where I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's a program or project that's going on throughout this whole month where you can go to all these free events. I think a lot of them are art-based, if I remember. A lot of them are at museums. Free Fall Baltimore. Easy name to remember. Wisdom Exchange Project. We know from those words that we're exchanging something, so someone is receiving something and we know that there's wisdom involved so it might be coming from that wisdom might be coming from someone that's older um just just doing a brief search of other programs or projects where they might have catchy titles i i just looked a little online civic works which is a big nonprofit in in baltimore um that mostly focuses on employment and training um, services. They have a a project called Neighborhoods for All Ages. That's a program that helps out low-income senior households with with their homeowner situations, and they help out 100 homes. It's called Neighborhoods for All Ages, right in uh, Bel Air Edison, Lake Montebello neighborhoods. This is another good one. Uh, a nonprofit in Baltimore has a program called No Hooks Before Books. Anyone heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. U- Umar Boxing Program. So, I mean, I don't have all the details, but I, I guess it's pretty much saying that this is an after-school tutoring program. And in order to uh, get your training in, you have to get your, your grades up. You have to get in your tutoring services. No hooks before books. So that name can really reach out to the foundation. Keeping the language simple and clear. Um, we had mentioned that earlier with how if you're using acronyms or any type of jargon or anything that is a word that maybe your organization is... Um, familiar with but others might not be familiar with you might have to substitute some of those words or define them usually one of the most common responses a grant applier gets from a foundation for not receiving support is is all summed up in one word the foundation will usually let that that applier know that your application or your proposal was, and this, okay, this is two words, not clear, or that it needed clarity. It has to be understandable to not just one person reading it, but it's possible that that foundation is going to give it to some board members, to some other staff that are reading parts of it too. Something to keep in mind when you're writing the proposal. Action words, like build, strengthen, fix, 
These are the types of words that you have to have when you're trying to explain the goals and objectives of your program and project. I've already mentioned the part about jargon and acronyms, but what's really important is that revision part, that editing process. Because if you're putting together that grant for your nonprofit organization, you don't just want to give it to someone that's within that organization because they're already familiar with all the terminology of your organization. You might need to give it to someone outside of your organization that's not as familiar with your program or project. They might not be familiar with it at all, but if you tell them to read it and give you feedback, they might be giving you questions in return that a foundation would ask. Yes? Um, do you think it's useful to submit, like, as an addendum to the proposal, um, other documents like blueprints or, um, or, or materials that will help them better understand what you're hoping to do or um, good question. Um, should you add on to your proposal maybe with some, um, maybe with some brochures or some type of um, pamphlet, something that it... I would definitely, that's a good question. I would definitely inquire with that foundation about um, what you can supply that's additional support. Because while submitting something in writing is good, that's in printed format is good, you might want to be careful on submitting in a poster or something that's too big to that foundation. Just like you might want to be careful about submitting in a video or a DVD. Because you have to think about how much time that foundation has to look over your proposal. I mean, we love looking at YouTubes on our own free time, but they have to do it as a part of giving out money. They're not going to be able to look over 100 YouTubes. But they are going to be able to skim over maybe a quick brochure or pamphlet. Thanks for asking about that. That We're going to cover more about the supporting materials later on as well. Okay, so statement of need. We have to really just think about that question of why you are submitting in the proposal. What is that issue that you're addressing, and who's the group of people that are affected by that issue? That should be in the stated or of statement of need. We've uh, learned already today that we have some of our nonprofits have several audiences. Some of our nonprofits might be specific to all of one city, but we might want to consider in that statement of need, who is that specific group? Who is that specific audience of a certain age or a certain community? In the Wisdom Exchange Project, it says our need is many students are reading below grade level and senior citizens are in need of meaningful work opportunities. So we are addressing students and senior citizens. That's our audience and community. The problem, there's two problems. The students are reading below grade level and the senior citizens are looking for meaningful work opportunities. So right there, you have a project that's addressing two separate needs, but they're all really one need according to this project. That argument's right there in the outline alone. They're keeping this project 
relevant because we know who those specific audiences are. But it also sounds like there's a chance that this project could become very local in scope. Not just all the city of Baltimore or all the city of Annapolis, but we might be looking at a specific school or we might be looking at a specific senior citizen community. We will find out about that. But in that statement of need, one of the things that we might be thinking of when we're putting that statement of need together is how do we make it stronger? Because we could state it, but how is that foundation really going to know that it's important? If I were to tell you that that there was a need for kids as young as six months to learn how to read, can you just take my word for it? What else would I need to provide you? So you would need supporting statistics. Um, where would I get those statistics from? Yes, um, online sources or printed sources from legitimate sources of information. Um, it could come from newspapers, could come from magazines, could come from research institutes. Those supporting facts and statistics could be coming from these very credible places. These supporting facts and statistics could even be coming from important people, politicians. You never know which congressman is suddenly going to say that early childhood literacy is important and starts at six months or even earlier. Maybe if you're addressing that issue for your grant-funded project, you want to quote that congressman. Sure, he might not be talking about specifically your project, but he's talking about the issue. Does that make sense? So, so you might need those supporting um, facts and statistics to go along with the issue and the audience that you're addressing in your statement of need. Project description. Anyone in the audience teachers? Or used to be teachers? Yeah. This is straight from the teacher handbook here. Um, your goals and objectives. You're stating in your goals what's broad that needs to be accomplished, and then those objectives have to be according to the SMART formula. The objectives have to be specific. They have to be measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. In the Wisdom Exchange Project, we see how the goals are very in general and broad. And we're thinking here, okay, we have our need that was stated earlier, and now those needs are suddenly becoming goals where it's increased reading levels for students. So we know we need to increase reading levels for a specific audience. And then we need to provide meaningful, rewarding volunteer work opportunities for seniors. So we have suddenly went from meaningful work opportunities to rewarding volunteer work opportunities. We just kicked it up a notch. 
We're thinking about that whole project description that local senior citizens are tutoring elementary school students in reading. That's not a goal, but that's more specific too, broad and and in general. But then suddenly with the objectives, we get into great detail. On the student side, we're recruiting. There's your action word, recruit. 20 students. We're not talking about four. We're not talking about 100. We're talking about 20 students. Grades three through six, who are below grade level in reading. So we're more specific now. We're figuring out who that group is that needs to increase their reading levels. But then there's the part where it says increase reading levels of at least 75% of the participants to their grade level in one year. We're not saying one out of every two. That might not be high enough of, a, of an objective. But we're, we're being realistic. 75%, three out of every four, will increase their reading level in a specific time period, one year. And then here's the senior citizen part. Recruit, train, and retain. Three action words. At least 20 seniors as tutors for one year. So we just define the tutor's objective. And all of these objectives are objectives because they have numbers in the mix. That's the easiest way of explaining the difference between goals and objectives. Now we have the project description in greater detail. This is where we really start doing most of our writing. So the four parts, we have our methods, which would be maybe step-by-step or maybe steps to take for each month or each quarter month. We'll have to define that and make that clear. As mentioned earlier in the program, the methods part might have to be explained further in some type of timetable. So you might, if you have a year-round project, you might have to submit to that grant maker, that foundation, some type of timeline that shows you that this will be accomplished with these steps in January, February, March, April. Or you could do it every quarter month. You're being specific enough so that way that foundation can see, can imagine what this project's going to look like. And in this case, with the methods, there's a couple that are in the Wisdom Exchange Project. One senior citizen will tutor one student for two days a week for one year. Lots of specifics there. But it's all in one statement. One and one and two and one. Tutors are training volunteers from Madison Community Center. So tutors are trained volunteers from this specific senior center community. And the students are from a specific public school, which is 27. Once again, very specific, but very brief. And these can be a part of our methods. And this whole... um, training part, we can explain in a timetable when that training is going to happen to make it even more clear. Staffing. 
you know, we, we've mentioned the volunteer role. We've mentioned the tutors. But there's more than that. Um, depending on our organization, it could be only volunteers. But each of those volunteers might have a specific role. One of those volunteers might be the project coordinator. One of those volunteers might be a reading instructor for this wisdom exchange project. But then you're going to have some nonprofits that are going to have a combination of staff and volunteers. So this is the opportunity if you're in a nonprofit that has paid staff to explain who that project coordinator is, who oversees the project. And then this might be the opportunity to explain who that reading instructor is that's going to provide training for the seniors and be available as a resource provider. In this case, uh, Wisdom Exchange Projects letting you know it's a consultant. So it's someone outside the organization. And it's very possible that you need grant funding because you're getting someone from the outside that has an expertise in training tutors on reading instruction. Here's one of the magic trending terms. Who here would like to explain to me about how you've collaborated with other groups or no other nonprofits? Has anyone thought about this? Yes. Um, we actually hosted, I uh, work for the National LGBT Museum. Um, we haven't actually got off the ground yet. Um, we, were, we worked with uh, the Hillwood Estate Museum and Gardens, and um, they were having an event, and we helped out um, by disseminating surveys on their behalf, and also were able to have a table to, um, to reach out to the visitorship there. So you collaborated with the museum another museum so you all had that connection exactly. yeah why why do something that um you might have you could have come across a situation where you could have been possibly duplicating something that's already been done by the museum but instead you got together that's collaboration that's collaboration really really in its simplest terms you're collaborating with a nonprofit that not necessarily is the same as yours, but is related. Sometimes the collaboration might be for a with a business or with another group. Collaborative efforts are something that foundations look to because one of the things that grant makers ideally would like to do is fund every great program and project but they might have to give you a suggestion when you contact them that there's this other nonprofit that you might want to get in contact with because they have a similar idea like yours. That foundation might help you out in that way, or you might have to inquire about that. But in this case with Wisdom Exchange Project, they let you know how they're collaborating they developed a steering committee of all these different types of representatives that can help with the Wisdom Exchange Project. They let you know that a school, the school is involved, that the senior center is involved, and that there are parents involved. Three different groups that are on this steering committee that are collaborating for this project. They're advisors. They want to make sure, thing, sure things work better. And we already mentioned the part about replicability a little bit, but in this case, what we're referring to in the project description is, are we developing a program or project that could be a model for other nonprofits? 
You might need to do your homework a little bit more on that. But if you feel like you have a good case for that, where you're being innovative in your program or project, you might want to make a good case to that foundation that this is innovative, what I'm doing. It could lead to other nonprofits in this community or in nearby communities doing what we want to do. Yes. Um, the different parts of the project, the, where the money's going to. Yes, um, that's w- that will be done, absolutely. And we're going to be getting into that part with the budget portion of this presentation. It'll be able to make that a little bit clearer about your expenses and also um, the revenue that's involved with your project as well. Uh, thank you for, for asking about that. Um, are there any questions, Ryan, about the about the method staffing collaboration or replicability. Oh, okay. Evaluation. This, going back to the teacher example where as a teacher you, you set up these goals and objectives for students. Um, this is also kind of teacher in a way, but it applies well beyond the teaching profession. Evaluation, you're doing a type of evaluation where it's ongoing evaluation. That's formative. And then you're doing that evaluation at the end of the program or project, which is the summative evaluation. You need to make sure that you're keeping track of the success or the improvements that are coming from this program. In the case of the Wisdom Exchange Project, we're finding out that some of the evaluations that are happening in a formative type of way include that you're going to make these student photos with progressive work samples to show that the students are making progress in reading and improving their reading. On the volunteer side, you're going to find out if the volunteers from from the senior community are progressing because they're going to keep meeting logs to evaluate and record the successful procedures and the obstacles encountered in their tutoring experiences. So those tutors are getting an opportunity to reflect in writing. And you also have the part that's at the end where you're going to give a survey to those seniors to find out how, how well their experience was with tutoring. What went well? What didn't go well? You're giving this foundation these brief ideas of how this program or project is going to get evaluated. You're not going into great detail once again, but you're giving them a picture of what's possible. You're letting them know that you're maintaining records and that progress can be measured. And another hot-button topic, sustainability. This is the part where in one question you're saying what happens when the grant ends. So, Because ideally, we want to continue getting support from grants. We want to get most of our money from grants in the most ideal type of way. But realistically, there's more than just grants. You're going to have to explain to this foundation 
how you're going to continue raising money for your program or project. How is it going to sustain? In the Wisdom Exchange Project's um, circumstance, they let you know in these very brief details that donations will be solicited from individuals in the community. So if the grant funding ends, we're still going to have support from those that care, that believe in what we're doing. And we're also letting the foundation know that we're going to seek grant from other funders or support from other funders. They give the examples here of the United Way or local government agencies that might be a match to your organization. You're not giving the foundation promises that you can do this right away as an example of sustainability, but you're letting them know that you're aware of the topic of sustainability and that it matters. They need to know that you're trying to, that you want to keep this program going no matter what happens on the funding side. Yes. Two questions. The yes. first um, related to this is, is this where you would list your other funders if you have them? For instance, um, I work at a college and a lot of our grants that we apply for, or the programs or projects that we're applying for, we already have funders supporting a part of it. If this is, is this where I would say, like, you know, ABC organization has already given us $10,000 Usually that part is in the budget. Yes. Um, that's where you would um, put down where revenue is also coming from. You're being clear and transparent to that foundation. Yeah. And then the other question, um, going back to like the evaluation, a couple of grants that I've done online already, they've said, uh, what are known like, risks? Like, how do you answer? Like, my supervisor just said, you know, put no known risks. Yeah, you, you, I don't have a clear cut answer for this, but one of the things you want to do when addressing risk is let them know maybe about um, what your current nonprofit situation is. Maybe there's something going on where it's possible that your executive director might be resigning within the next year or that there's going to be these key people involved with the project that might have told you already that we can't promise we'll be here during this whole time. So you want to think about what your current work situation is that relates to that program or project and figure out how to break down the possible risk from there. Yeah. Anyone else have any questions? Well, just to recap, um, we covered the biggest part of our proposal, which is the project description, the needs, those goals and objectives, the methods, the staff that are involved, how we can possibly work together, and how we can keep this project going with the sustainability. We just covered what would be considered a big portion, that meat of the proposal, but there's a little bit more meat to cover. What I want to do real quickly is just pause for a moment and get a little bit prepared for the budget part and then the end part. So we'll wait about a minute or two and be right back.
Okay, we're going to get started on the remainder of our program dealing with um, putting together the proposal and the after the grant part. Um, question was brought up earlier about, about um, collaboration and who could possibly support a program or project. I'm going to speak on it on just a general sense here that I might have not mentioned earlier, but you really want to think neighborhood-centric or local when it comes to your nonprofit or project. So if you have something that you would really like funded, find out about those bit those nonprofit communities that are already in your part of Baltimore or in another city that can help you out. Um, it's also possible too that colleges and universities could help you out with a program or project if you happen to be very close by or share something in common. Um, so you have that program or project. Think about those collaborators that could be right around the corner and are already well established. If they're not able to partner or collaborate with you, they could have a good referral or they might already know of someone or someones that are doing something similar to get in contact with. And in the end, you get to be a part of a neighborhood organization or a local nonprofit nearby. You might find out that there's members of that, that place that have an interest in what you're doing, that you're just, you start networking and you find out important people have something in common with you. Now, um, the budget part, the numbers. We've gone over a lot of words, but the numbers part today is very key and essential. Sometimes foundations will look at this part first before looking at your narratives. But what we want to do during this time is just make sure we understand the basics behind a budget. Once again, referring to that Foundation Center's Guide to Proposal Writing, they do have more information in here about building budgets. But if you need another book that's helpful, I do suggest uh, Grant Seeker's Budget Toolkit. What do both of these books have in common? They let you know not only about how to make a budget for your program or project, but also how to make sure you cover your organization's budget as well because the foundations are probably going to want to know about both the project budget and your organization's budget. So we have the budget part, and we're thinking, okay, who's preparing this budget for our organization? One thing that's good to know is that whoever's putting together this proposal is putting together the whole proposal. So the, there's one person writing it, but that they have many people involved. It is a team effort. So this is the part where if you're the proposal writer and you don't have a big finance background or a good background when it comes to numbers, this is where you might want to seek help from another volunteer or staff member that has experience with numbers. So referring to the Wisdom Exchange Project as we're learning about expenses, you have direct cost and indirect costs. 
your direct cost, especially on the personnel side, are going to be most of your cost. These are the costs that are towards people that are directly involved with your organization. And in our example with the Wisdom Exchange Project, we see how much of the executive director's time is a part of this program's budget. We see that 5% of the time is from the director is going to be towards the Wisdom Exchange Project. So the simple formula is to take their salary, get 5% of that salary, and put it into the program budget. So the executive director's budget is $60,000. 5% of the executive director's time is going to be towards this project. 5% of $60,000 is $3,000. Simple formula. So there's going to be these formulas that you might have to have in place when putting together the budget part. You really want to make sure that you use a worksheet or some type of table format when putting together this budget as well. Because from our example, we see how it's very, very line item based. You have that title and then the amount. Or you have that title, that percentage, and then that amount. Yes. Sometimes organizations have formulas for how much of the budget should be towards um, from a specific person. So you would want to inquire with your organization about that formula. Um, in the case of putting together a budget for a proposal, you know, we're, we're thinking in terms of just putting it together in this worksheet outline type of way right now. But ultimately, we want to make sure that the budget is put in the way that the foundation wants it as well. Sometimes foundations want it to be pretty, um, they leave it up to you, pretty open-ended. But sometimes they have a standardized um, form for putting together the budget. In this case, we're simply just listing the expense items. So we're letting the foundation know that there is a project coordinator, that this person currently gets paid $42,000 a year, but a third of their time is going to be towards this program or project. All they did is take a third from $42,000 to show that there's $14,000 of this project coordinator's um, salary that goes to this project. Just a very clear-cut formula. The benefits are also a part of the personnel cost. In this case, they call it fringe, and they let you know 20% of the benefits that these salaried employees have need to be covered by grant money. Is 20% reasonable? It is reasonable. It tends to be the most that foundations want you to put in as benefits. Notice how I stated that differently there. Sometimes the foundations tell you how much they're willing to cover on the fringe benefits side. Usually 20% tends to be standard. Some are 15%. Sometimes you just have to let them know how much is needed. But benefits are a part of the cost. You have to keep inflation in mind, too, that these projections in your budget that you're putting in could change, especially knowing that if we submit in a proposal in one month, six months later is when you actually find out if you got it or not. So you might need a little leeway. You might be thinking 
well, this is going to be $2,500 for of this person's salary, but you might want to increase it just a little bit more just to be on the safe side if inflation comes into the mix. You'll notice that there is a consultant cost subtotal here. It lets us know that the reading specialist is um, working 20 days at $500 per day, so they came up with $10,000 for that. So is the consultant considered a personnel cost? Is it considered a cost that is directly from your organization? No. Consultants are non-personnel. Sometimes they're known as uh, professional fees. So you have to consider that if someone from the outside is going to help out your program or project, that you make a separate line for them, that you separate it out from the personnel cost. And then you'll notice how there's all these other types of non-personnel cost. The consultant is kind of the exception to the rule, but the rest are pretty much supplies that are directly towards the program. Reading materials, printing and copies, transportation for the seniors, snacks, food, phones. Those are direct costs that are non-personnel that are towards your project. They are just simply listed. And you're doing your best within your organization or within the people that you're working with to come up with these results, with these costs, with these expenses. You might have to do the research yourself. You might have to find out through just digging online or in books what, an, what a good rate is if your organization doesn't have it readily available. You might have to look into your grant history too or your budget history to find out how much you've asked for in the past when it comes to certain types of supplies and see how it relates to your grant that you're proposing. Yes. If you're turned down for a grant, um, for whatever reason, is it wise to reapply or waste some time here? We're going to get into that. It's a great question. What happens if you don't get the grant? We're going to cover that in the final part of today's program, the after the grant. I'm glad you mentioned that because it is important to know what to do because um, we don't always win. But we need to learn about why we didn't win and if we have to go further. So you'll notice um, with this budget, too, that there's this part dealing with indirect cost. This is important because you have these other costs that aren't directly about your program or project. They could be about several parts of your organization, but you have to put it into the budget. So one of the simplest ones I can think of when it comes to indirect cost is electricity. Your organization probably needs electricity to run, but it's not considered a direct cost because the project that you need grant funding for is not the only thing that needs electricity. So what do you do in that case? You give a percentage. And that's what they do in this case. They figure out about all of these indirect costs. 
for maybe um, electricity bills, telephone bills that will keep this project running. These are also called administrative cost or overhead cost. And you add that in as well. And in its simplest way, we have found out what a budget is on the expense side for this wisdom exchange project, $46,460. $40,400 on direct cost, $6,060 in direct cost. So we know when we're putting together the budget that most of it's going to be personnel and most of it's going to be direct cost. And just some of it is going to be indirect. Sometimes, and it's not included on here, but sometimes you have to add a narrative to your budget. Sometimes numbers don't explain it all. So you might have to add footnotes to your budget. You might have to give just a little bit more detail about why you're asking for this amount of money or that amount of money or that amount of money. Budget narratives are going to vary depending on if you feel like something needs to be clarified or not in your proposal. It just depends. Um, In standardized grant proposal forms, they might have an area for you to put in that budget narrative, those short statements that explain the numbers further. But other times it might be left up to you. And sometimes you have to have a narrative and sometimes you don't. Something else that's not in this budget, but you definitely will need to do when you're putting together the proposal is talk about the revenue that's raised. It was mentioned to me, to us a couple of times already, and also during break about how you're raising revenue, you're raising income for your project in other ways. It's not just grants. So you might want to put in where else you've received grant money so far. From which foundations did you also apply to and how much did you ask from them? You're going to have to put that in your program income revenue part of the budget. You're going to have to put in how much is coming from individual donors. Not going to list every single donor, but you want to give an idea of how much would come from individual donors in, in a number. You might need to put in, if you're raising money, in a campaign type of way and how much that's going to be. You would put in, if you're getting money from the government for your program or project, include that into your revenue income part of the budget. Sometimes, and I know this might be a shock, but sometimes your program or project might not be for free. So sometimes you are raising income for your project by selling tickets. You're raising revenue for your project by doing that. You would want to include in an estimate of that, that fee, how much it would cost per ticket to be a part of that program or project if you want to attend it. You don't want to overthink it, but you want to give that foundation an idea about the expenses and the income that's raised. And it was mentioned during break two that sometimes that you're most likely going to have to give your whole organization's budget. Because this project budget, for instance, it's $46,460. 
Does that mean that your overall organization's budget is $46,460? No. Hopefully, your organization's budget is not just double this amount, but well beyond even tripling or quadrupling this amount. Because you want to make sure that you give the big picture about your organization that it can handle $46,460 because your organization does raise $400,000 a year. Did you have a question, Robert? Um, I'm curious about the church project. Um, may that church apply for more than one grant from a different, from more than one foundation for the same project? And it was apply to two or three foundations in hopes that at least one will give money, or is that just not... You can do that. You just want to make it clear to those foundations that you've applied elsewhere. It's um, you're you're simply projecting that you're hoping that these other foundations can help you out. And just to clarify, if more than one foundation offers money to a project, yeah. you decide which foundation of those two, let's say two foundations, offer money for the same project. Yeah. You just decide if you're the church. Uh, well, this is this is a good point and a good question. This is where you want to look a little ahead with how you're developing your budget, because hopefully, like in this case, you're asking for forty. Like in this example, there's forty six thousand four hundred sixty dollars that's being asked, and we'll just assume it's being asked to one grant maker. But maybe this project's actually eighty thousand dollars. So maybe you're asking for $20,000 from this other foundation and another 10000 from this other foundation. I understand, but then how do you judge if you should ask for all of the money from one foundation or if you should split it into sections and ask three or four different foundations? That's, the only way I can answer that is that you're taking a big risk if you're just applying to one foundation. Can you research it too and see what they typically given like for similar projects? That's what we kinda go see like, you know, if they've given five thousand or ten thousand That, that's a good point, and yes, you want, when you're doing your research, you should know that when you're putting together that budget that realistically I should be asking for $5,000 from this foundation, but maybe I shouldn't be asking for $5,000 from this other foundation because it looks like for projects that are like mine, they usually only give 2500 So it is a part of the research process. You're welcome. Yes? You need to make that clear to the foundations. You need to let them know that that you are applying to more than one place and for specific amounts and for specific um and that is something that would be built into the budget. Don't want to keep secrets from foundations. You want to be clear and transparent. But like you said, if, okay, say I'm asking A and B, A Foundation and B Foundation for $20,000, put it in my proposal, let each other know that I'm seeking each other. And what if they both come through? 
Well, did did you make your budget where you said both of them would be for $20,000? Did you make your budget for the entire project $40,000? Um, just just say, uh, for, yeah, say I'm asking each organization for $40,000 is all I think I need at this time. Yep. And, you know, like you said, when you put together a proposal, you're submitting it to organizations. You can do more than one at a time, but, but the thing is, what if they do come? And, 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 and you end up asking for too much. Is what you're? Is that what you're asking? Is that you end up getting way more than what you asked for? So, if, say, if I, all I needed was forty thousand, I submitted it to two companies. Both of them approved it. Both of them are going to give me forty thousand dollars. Yeah. So, do you turn one of them down, or how do you do? What do you do? Or do you let one of them know that the other company did come through, or? You, this is where it can get difficult, but I have to answer to a similar way as, as what Robert asked, which was, why would you put your organization in that situation where you're asking for way more than what you actually want? You really want to break it down according to how much this foundation can give compared to how much this foundation can give compared to what this foundation can give. You, you don't want to get yourself in this situation where you're over asking and then you have to go back to that foundation and just say, I'm sorry, but at this time, um, thank you for the offer, but I won't need that $20,000. How, how do you think they, that foundation would feel after all that time you've put in and then you have to reject that much money? It, it's just something to, to think about. To... So in other words, would you just only apply it? You just want foundation at a time? You want to you want to apply for several foundations, but you need to do your research and find out what is a reasonable amount to ask for from those foundations. Most likely, you're not going to be able to ask for the same amount from every foundation. If you do the homework correctly, you're going to find out how much you're allowed to ask at the most, how much you're allowed to ask at the least, and how much other programs or projects that have been funded by this foundation have asked for. Yeah. I want to be able to ask answer more questions later, but at this point, we we definitely need to go on to the remainder of the project because we're going to be going past three o'clock. But um, if you want to see me afterwards with the budget part, feel free to come up to me. Okay, I'm going to try my best to do the part here where I go through the remaining slides and give you um, brief recaps on them. Make sure if you do have to leave that you leave your evaluation forms so that way we can get some good feedback from you. Organizational information. This is once again an area where you can explain what your organization's track record is all about, how successful it's been in programs. This is a very important part of your um, proposal, especially if it's not well-known, if it's very community-centric. This is your opportunity in a brief way to explain what your organization's all about and why the program is relevant to the mission. It's also a good opportunity to give brief information about your board and staff. Um, this could come in brief bio form, maybe a few sentences or a brief paragraph about those board members or those key essential staff. If you have a project coordinator, you're probably going to want to give a little bit of a write-up about what they've done in the past if that person's heading the project. Um, 
it's almost like looking at it as like a who's who of your organization. That's what you want to think about this part in terms of the organizational information. And then at the very end, you have this part where you're answering, so what? Why, why, should I, why should I have this grant money and why should you, the foundation, give me money? This is your final appeal. It's not necessarily like the part where in the commercials where Sally Struthers used to make you cry at the end that you're putting in that final appeal. You don't necessarily have to make the foundation cry, but you want to let the foundation know that there's hope to, for your program or project on what you will accomplish, why it's important, and who will benefit. The part with the executive summary, this is... You have to think of this as the mini proposal. This is the part where in one page, no more than two pages, you're doing this mini proposal of everything that you've just written about in a longer format. So what would you include? You would include all those other parts, the statement of need, the goals and objectives, the cost of the project, the amount requested, background on your information, one to two paragraphs on each of these parts. Think of the executive summary as being your presentation to the foundation. Because if you, if you know you're on the right track, track for fundraising success, for foundation success, they might want to meet you in person. And this is where that executive summary comes into play. So that way you can give those board members or those key foundation staff members information about your nonprofit's project and why it needs grant funding. Uh, part was mentioned with the appendices and supporting materials. Um, IRS determination letter. Sometimes you need to do an audit of your organization. Other times it might take too much, not only too much time, but too much money to afford an audit. So some nonprofits get an audit to show that they have a fine infrastructure for their organization. Sometimes you can ask for what's called a financial review. Sometimes all a foundation will need is your 990, your tax return for your nonprofit to show that you are a legitimate 501c3. We also have the part with the board and staff members where, once again, if you haven't addressed it already, please make sure to make brief bios of these key staff members and board members, um, letting the funder know why these people are essential to your project. And supporting materials, as mentioned earlier, you want to give something that supports your project, that explains it a little further, but not go overboard on it. So a brochure, a pamphlet, some type of an endorsement letter could work as supporting materials, but the videotape, the YouTube, the DVD, the documentary, that would be going a little overboard. And then finally, you just want to make sure that when you put all of these pieces together of your proposal, that you package it accordingly. You have that cover letter. You have that part knowing and we're thinking the proposal doesn't stand alone. We need to make sure the contact information and any communication is clearly stated out in the proposal. Your cover letter will reference who you've contacted in that foundation. You'll request a certain amount for funding. 
you'll ex you will make sure those proposal contents are there and you want to um, make sure that you offer to answer any questions that might have not been answered or and offer to meet if you haven't state done this already that should be in your cover letter so cover letter proposal appendices and supporting materials some foundations want you to make sure that you type 12 font times new roman double spaced one inch margins they'll state that specifically Make sure to do that when packaging the proposal. And it's usually better if you put the proposal into a clip, some type of binder clip, instead of just stapling it all together if it's the um, printed version. Because they're most likely going to pull it into um, out of different pieces. And they'll look at specific parts. So make it convenient for them. Variations. Um, common grant application form in the Maryland, um, Baltimore, D.C. area, Baltimore area, you have the Association of Baltimore Area Grant Makers. They have their common application form, which you can download for free. It gives you a standardized budget part, questions to answer. It also has standardized reporting forms as well. Funder... Oh, um, one example of a common grant application is Association of Baltimore Area Grant Makers. If your nonprofit's located more in the D.C. area, you'll want to check if, you're, if the foundation you're applying to is a part of Washington Grant Makers. The funder might have their own application form. That, I, that might answer the question that was brought up earlier of, well, do you just get that proposal and give it the same way to a bunch of funders? or a bunch of foundations? The answer is, is you don't want to do that rookie mistake. You want to make sure that you make the proposal according to how the foundation wants to see it. So don't get do the beginner inexperienced mistake of making the same proposal 10 times and sending it to 10 different foundations. They want to make sure you're following their guidelines and with the part with the initial contact, you find that out in the research. You'll find out from that grant maker's website or from that foundation's profile if they prefer a phone call or a letter of inquiry or if they just want the full proposal. They'll let you know that if you do the homework correctly. Okay, finally, we have communication. I want to thank you again just for sticking around overtime here when it comes to this program. I know it's a lot to cover, but I appreciate your questions and, and staying around for this. We want to think about, well, what happens if I get the grant or don't get the grant? And we also want to think about is there any harm in saying something or not saying something or writing about something or not writing about something? We want to think about that in this after the grant part. What do I do after I submit the full proposal? This is a reference book. Um, you might want to look it up through the Foundation Center Grant Space website as well after the grant. It explains very well about what to do with the communication after you've submitted in the proposal. 
Because really, the whole time we've been talking about communication and building relationships and the whole proposal writing process. But really, we want to make sure that we continue to build the relationship with this foundation if we feel like there is great potential here. Even during the part where we haven't received that response of, did we get the money or not? Or did we get the support or not? Uh, mentioned earlier about how, well, if you get contacted within a week, that's good. That is great. But after two weeks, you might want to contact that foundation just to see if they've received your proposal. Um, I wouldn't wait any more than three weeks. And you, this might be a good opportunity, too, if you haven't received a, received a response yet from that foundation that they received your proposal. This might be a great opportunity to actually let them know that, um, ask if there's any more information that you can provide. This might be an opportunity to make your case. And do it over the phone as much as possible. Sometimes you might have to do it in email if a phone is not successful, but definitely try by phone. Giving updates. This is the perfect example of if you have experienced something in your organization with maybe a key person of this program or project resigning, or if there's something where there's significant budget changes in your organization and you've already submitted in the proposal, this is the time while you're waiting to give updates. Be clear and transparent about it. Foundation will understand. Sometimes things are hard to predict. And it's best just to be upfront with the foundations and let them know that something has happened. And they'll appreciate that you've kept them posted on these important updates dealing with staff or with your budget. And then with continuing to build the relationship, sometimes we want to use those stakeholders in our organization to continue to build a relationship. So do you get a board member of your organization to contact a foundation's board member? Or do you end up finding out about it? and wonder, what do I do now? Well, this could be a great thing, but the whole key is how to communicate it out. You want to make sure that if you find out that one of your board members or one of your key staff members has contacted a key staff member or board member of foundation, that you let the foundation know about it. You let that program officer that you submitted that proposal to know that I just wanted to give you an update. One of my board members contact, uh, actually knows one of your board members, and they met each other at a special event. Um, they talked a little bit about the project. I just wanted to make sure you were kept in the loop. You would want to make sure you tell that foundation's program officer that important people have met while you're waiting for the response on your proposal, so that way nothing is a surprise. So you get the grant. Great news. This is going to make a huge difference for your organization. It's going to make a huge impact on your project. Please make sure to send a thank you letter. And send something that can be mailed that's very personable and shows that you really care about this funding. Because this isn't just a thank you letter. This is another opportunity to just state very briefly that thanks to your grant money, your foundation is going to make an impact on my program or project. It's going to make a difference. Continue to update the funder. Sometimes they're going to give you standardized reports to fill out. Sometimes they're going to let you know that you need to keep us posted on a monthly or quarterly basis. 
if there is success in your program along the way that comes from the media, continue to let that foundation know about the success. Add ammunition to the grant because you never know when you could get continued support. In this day and age, it's harder to get a renewal on a grant. A lot of grants are one-year grants. But if you show enough success, you could get the support. And then there's the part where maybe you didn't get the grant. This is the time when you don't want to take it personally. You want to find out if there's just not enough money for this foundation to, to give more at this time. You know, they might just simply tell you, I'm sorry, but, you know, we really want to fund your project, but we had to decide on other ones that that were a little better. Sometimes they don't, these foundations don't have to tell you why. And don't take that personally either. It just could be a part of that foundation's rules. You might want to ask about future funding opportunities if you don't get the grant. You would be able to find out if there is potential in the next round to apply. But then sometimes foundations change their funding priorities. Sometimes they might be art, but then they move to something like um, human services based, or they might move to something that's more education based, or they might be dealing with one area of art, but then next year they deal with a different area art funding. Don't take that personally as well. Just know that you have to continue looking for your prospects. The final part is simply just making sure that you know where to go for more help. You have your funding information networks, 13 in Maryland, your regional office, mentioned Grant Space and Foundation Center a few times where you can continue to develop your skills and knowledge base on proposal writing at your own pace, at your own time. And then you have your Maryland-specific resources as well. Besides the grants collection here at Enoch Pratt, where you can get more training, which, by the way, training three training opportunities are coming up in November. Make sure to go to the grants collection website to find out more about that. Um, you have the grants collection, but then you have websites like the Governor Grants Office website that will list foundation grant opportunities there are more than just governor grants. Maryland Community Foundations is an organization that is a directory of all the community foundations in Maryland. Currently, there's 14. Mention the two organizations that provide the common grant application. They also have more information about the grant makers that are a part of their association. Maryland Nonprofits and Association of Funding, Fundraising Professionals, Maryland Chapter, also provide more training opportunities. They might cost a fee or they could be free, but if you really want to develop your skills further, those are two great organizations to go to. Does anyone else have any questions for today? Yes. It's the grants collection is on the first floor in the social science and history department to the right-hand side. You're welcome. Are there any questions online, Ryan? Nope. Okay. Um, feel free to contact me. My door is always open in person, online, by phone. If I'm not able to get back to you immediately, I will get back to you and I do suggest that email is best only because I can have what you're asking for in writing and 
be able to reply back and give you a hard copy of information. Anyone else have any questions? I want to thank you very much for your time today and for sticking around. I know we did some 15 minutes of overtime here, but knowing that we've done overtime already, I still want to make myself available. So in case you do have any questions, I'll be here for the next 15 minutes. Um, thank you very much for your time.